0: was a little um, obituary notice placed in the newspaper in 1806. That's almost 60 years before George Huntington published his, his medical description. And it describes um, Captain David Hedges, who was a member of the elite, actually, wealthy family, came home one evening. He found his wife ironing clothes and apparently in health he retired to bed and left her at that employment. So of course, she's still working while he goes to bed. But on awakening in the morning, she was not to be found. In the 19th century,
1: East Hamptons wasn't the glamorous celebrity resort that it is now. It was a fishing village, a small village, isolated. Miss Hedges was one of the most respected people in the community.
0: After considerable search and inquiry, Her footsteps were traced from the house through fields of grain to the shore, and there is every reason to believe she has precipitated herself into the surf which washes the south shore.
1: This is a story digging into the history of the disease that afflicted Miss Hedges, now called Huntington's disease. It's a neurodegenerative disease caused by the buildup of toxic Huntington protein. Phoebe Hedges' story doesn't just show the frightening parts of the disease. Her story gives insight into an illness that was often silenced. This is especially important because she experienced Huntington's disease before the medical profession had even defined it. Her story shows that people with Huntington's or with family with Huntington's weren't necessarily shunned. The Hedges were prominent members of society. But just because Phoebe was respected doesn't mean she was unafraid.
0: Mrs. Hedges was about 40 years of age and was much esteemed by her neighbors. This extraordinary step is attributed to her extreme dread of the disorder called St. Vitus Dance, with which she began to be affected and which her mother now has to a great degree. From some arrangements of her clothing, it appears she had for some time contemplated her melancholy end.
1: One of its earliest described features is korea, which means abnormal involuntary movements. The word korea is from the Greek word for dance, and is why the obituary referred to Miss Hedge's disorder as St. Vitus's Dance. This is a podcast for HOPES, the Huntington's Outreach Project for Education at Stanford. In each episode, we'll share stories that shed light on the history or the current issues in Huntington's research. We'll be talking to doctors, caretakers, people with Huntington's disease, and others in the Huntington's community. I'm Claudia Haymack. I hope to focus this first episode on the history of Huntington's, a
0: pretty big topic.
1: So, I sought out a historian.
0: Okay, I'm Alice Wexler, I uh, am a historian, Um, I have a PhD in history, and for the last 15 years perhaps, no, 20 years, I have been uh, writing about Huntington's disease. Alice wrote a book about the history of Huntington's
1: titled, The Woman Who Walked Into the Sea After Phoebe Hedges.
0: But Why did she start her history of Huntington's in East Hamptons? Uh, I knew that George Huntington had described people from this town. I didn't know who they were. Um, I had some leads, and I just began looking at the local newspaper. She didn't want to just tell the story
1: of George Huntington, the man that Huntington's disease is named for.
0: It was more about Capturing the stories of communities. Trying to capture the experience of ordinary people rather than those in power or those, the experts, you know. To look at the history meant uh, spending time in that town, going through church records, uh, local uh, records, and talking to the people there about their memories also. History from the bottom up. Huntington's
1: has a legacy filled with gaps and secrets, often shame. This
0: disease was sometimes considered as a form of hereditary insanity. And the idea of hereditary insanity goes way back to ancient times, and it's always been stigmatized. It's always been a source of terror. Hereditary illness was um, very feared because hereditary often was associated with incurable you know, something that was hereditary could not be prevented or treated, you know. So um, I think that that fear went very far back. Keeping it secret was a way of protecting people's marriage prospects, you know, if possible. Although that's pretty hard in a small town, people would have known about it. Uh, But it was, um, no, it was not talked about. I think that that was a way of trying to deny its existence, you know, to pretend that it doesn't exist if you don't talk about it. Complicating it all, there aren't many written records of Huntington's either.
1: So Alice had to ask people about their family history. She looked up the descendants of Phoebe Hedges. She looked up other descendants of families with Huntington's.
0: This was a town that um, was very almost obsessed with ancestry. They placed a lot of Uh, Importance on genealogy, and there were good genealogical records, so it's possible to look up the family. Phoebe Hedges grew up in the era of the Revolution, arriving at East
1: Hampton's as a child when it was still war torn and in financial ruin. When she was 21, she married David Hedges, whose family was central to the town. He ended up being a wealthy town trustee. Together, they had three children two sons and a daughter. But when Phoebe's mother reached her 60s, things started to change. Phoebe's mother couldn't support herself anymore, and was becoming more and more ill. Phoebe, too, started to become worried about her own health. She called for her local physician, Abel Huntington, several times in the month before her disappearance. Abel Huntington was the grandfather of George Huntington. Phoebe Hedges was likely afraid that she would come down with the same disease her mother had. But in a story that's filled with so much risk of stigma and hereditary illness, how do we know about these people? Part of it are the church records, medical notes, and newspapers dug up by Alice Wexler. Another part of it is that many people in
0: East Hamptons were willing to talk because they were proud of the legacy of George Huntington. You can see the house that he lived in and his family lived in right there on Main Street. Typical New England house with a big slanted roof, uh, the salt box house style. Um, And it's like the other houses along Main Street, the old houses. It's been changed a little bit since he lived there, but it's basically the same house. So he's a source of, he's somebody that they're proud of.
1: As you'll see, George Huntington wasn't the first person to describe the disease. But he's important to mention in the story of East Hamptons because that's where he grew to understand it, enough to describe it in a fuller way than had been done before. And it's important to understand why the people in East Hamptons now care about his legacy.
2: Driving with my father through a wooded road leading from East Hampton to Amagansett, We suddenly came upon two women, mother and daughter, both tall, thin, almost cadaverous, both bowing, twisting, grimacing.
0: George Huntington was a very keen observer with a strong uh, artistic bent.
2: I stared in wonderment, almost in fear. What could it mean? My father paused to speak with them, and we passed on. Who...
0: I believe would have preferred to have been an artist uh, if he had been wealthy enough. But he wasn't. So he followed in the family footsteps like his father and his grandfather, becoming a family physician. He did not have he had a great uh, respect for science and the discoveries of science, but he was not motivated to pursue research. And he really didn't recognize the significance of the uh, illness that he described until later, when other people uh, acknowledged the the significance.
2: The hereditary korea, as I shall call it, is confined to certain and fortunately... And
0: um, he became aware that there was really quite a worldwide interest in the disease he described.
2: It is attended generally by all the symptoms of common korea only in an aggravated degree, hardly ever manifesting itself until adult or middle life. What George Huntington did was include
1: a description of the disease that was the first to include all of its major features, the movement disorder, mood disorder, and cognitive disorder. The reason why his name is remembered is kind of an accident.
0: The the idea of St. Vitus' dance as a movement disorder goes back quite far maybe to the 16th century, Korea Sanctus Vitus," you know, that um, implied involuntary movements. And that term was very broadly used. So it could have been used for people who had the disease in their families, but it could also be used for lots of other things, people who were fidgety. You know, it, it just was an umbrella term. It wasn't really until the early 19th century that uh, mentions of Korea start to appear in the medical literature.
1: Several things pushed Huntington's into prominence. One at the cusp of the 20th century was that the scientific world was shifting towards neuroscience and away from psychology. Neuroscientists were fascinated by Huntington's. And another was the emergence of the eugenics movement.
0: Another thing, another turning point, if you can call it that, is the emergence of the eugenics movement that also um, began to emerge in the late 19th century. The, The term eugenics was coined by a cousin of Charles Darwin in 1883. That was Francis Galton and this notion of better breeding, uh, became quite popular especially after the turn of the twentieth century and this notion that people who were supposedly more fit should have more children and people who were unfit would have fewer or no children and of course a hereditary disease like Huntington's was became a kind of poster child for eugenics And you know while eugenics was not a t- Eugenics, the followers of eugenics were preoccupied with things like feeble-mindedness. They were um, preoccupied actually with um, racial distinctions. They, their de- definition of who was fit and unfit was defined by race, by ethnicity, by class, uh, but also by this notion of hereditary disease.
1: Charles Davenport, a leading eugenicist, conducted a huge field study of North American Huntington's disease families. He formed the opinion that people with Huntington's should be sterilized if they do get married. He worked to
0: convince clinicians that
1: sterilization was the right path.
0: I think uh, clearly it was a great incentive to be secretive, to hide it even more. Uh, I mean, they would have good, realistic reasons for wanting to hide the disease. No, and I think the eugenics movement pushed it further underground and discouraged research because, from the eugenist's point of view, uh, the answer was pro- prohibit- prohibiting people at risk from getting married or having children, um, getting sterilized. It was prevention, not treatment. I think that there are people still who really... Disapprove of the idea of people at risk having children, even if they have just a 50% risk. And the idea that somebody who knew they were going to get the disease having children, uh, for many people, I think, would be, you know, they would be very disapproving of that. My own father, actually, uh, I think he felt how could, he didn't know about it, so he felt okay that he could have he had children before he knew that the disease was in the family, he says. <clears throat> and so then, he, but he, he still felt a little bit guilty, but he he was quite open about saying, you know, he couldn't imagine if you knew that you were at risk that you would have it, have children. So that's, a, that's still, um, those kinds of attitudes still persist. The idea of having children, you know, and the possibility that I would get sick wouldn't be able to take care of them, and that possibly I could be handing it down to the children was very scary. And it was something I didn't think that I could cope with. This is another of the reasons that the people in East
1: Hamptons were willing to talk to Alice, because her mother had died from Huntington's,
0: and she was at risk. Well, it made me one of them, in a way. When I was talking to the families. Affected by the illness in the past, the fact that I was uh, part of a family also affected. Alice didn't
1: grow up knowing anything about Huntington's. Her mother's depression and withdrawal were mysterious to her.
0: On the one hand, my sister and I were free of that worry while we were growing up. We didn't have to deal with it. Uh, And so in some way it was freeing not to know until we were older. In another way, uh, I think that not knowing, but still picking up clues, you know, um, still I think that we uh, absorbed some of um, our mother's anxieties, or probably both of our parents, without knowing what it was caused by, and seeing her kind of decline, and and being very unsympathetic to her, because we didn't really know, uh, was was not so good. So if we had known, maybe we would have been more sympathetic to her. Uh, Maybe we would have been able to help her more.
1: Alice, her sister, and her father threw themselves into the fight to find a cure. They created the Hereditary Disease Foundation and mobilized the research community. And they created communities and conferences to dismantle stigma and start a conversation. Alice watched as the modern-day conversations and writings about Huntington's multiplied. But she still hadn't fully delved into the conversations of the past. When Alice found out about her mother's illness, her father told her that he didn't think much information
0: was available about it. My own father told me that when, when our mother got diagnosed, and he didn't know anything about it. He was trying to find out from doctors, and he told us he couldn't find doctors who knew anything about it. As a historian, she's since proved that that's not true. But, but if you look at the medical literature, in fact, there was a lot of written about it from early in the 20th century.
1: And she shared her findings through a book. Still, the stigma surrounding Huntington's is difficult to disentangle. One way this can be seen is through the judgment people pass on whether those at risk for Huntington's should have kids or not, or whether they should be tested or not. Alice and her sister have both chosen not
0: to get tested. One response that my sister often has said is, well, uh, you can plan for the future whether you know or not. So um, why not just plan for the future uh, anyway? You know, I, I don't know how to introduce myself to tell you the truth. I really don't. Um... Because I, you know, I have been an academic, but I haven't been teaching for 20 years. I didn't start out in medical history. I don't have a science background. Um, I started to write about anarchism and Emma Goldman, and then shifted over to this story of Huntington's disease. I know, for my own part, I, I have wanted to, um, you know, see myself as somebody who is a witness. To the, to the history being made, to, to write about it, and um, to bring the, his, my whatever historian skills I have to uh, the story of Huntington's disease.
1: I'd like to thank the Hopes Fund and Stanford for their support. Thank you to William Durham and Catherine Heaney to Crystal, our graphic designer, and to the Hope's team for guidance. If you want more information about Alice's book, check out the Hope's website, where a book review has previously been posted.